In order to join the World Trade Organization, a country has to make multilateral agreements with potential trading partners from around the world. Among these trading partners, there are big differences in the impacts of China's joining up. John Taylor is a China specialist and professor of politics at London's South Bank University. In terms of China entering the World Trade Organization. And obviously, some countries are going to benefit more than others. I mean, the most important ones won't be regionally, but I think the most important country to benefit will be the United States and some European countries. But then they're obviously benefiting from it already. But it'll just be a massive opening up of China's domestic market to them. So they'll they'll benefit from China joining the World Trade Organization. I think there's some concern regionally within Japan about competition from China, and there's certainly、um, a lot of worries within East Asia and Southeast Asia simply because China will be able to produce things much more cheaply than commodities are being produced in other countries in Southeast Asia. So there's a tremendous concern about that, particularly from countries like Thailand and much more so countries like Indonesia. But what about the impact on China itself? Jun Wu is a radio journalist working for BBC World Service. He's covered the story of China's accession to the WTO in detail, and has been out to China to interview business leaders, academics, and ordinary people there. Yeah, from the people I talk to in China, the general impression is they are all quite, on the whole, positive about the prospect of China joining the WTO. They think this will do China good, not just in terms of economy, also in terms of China's economic reform. And、uh, they also think the major beneficiaries will be the consumers. Of course,、uh, nobody denies China will. Will experience some of difficulties, especially initially,、uh, immediately after the、uh, joining of the WTO. But they seem to all think in long term, it, this is a good thing for China. So, if China's accession to the World Trade Organization is welcomed by China, and also welcomed by at least some of the world's most powerful economic forces, then why have the negotiations taken so long? Peter Nightingale. Accession to the WTO for China goes back 15 years, so it's been a long and tortuous process. And and of course,、uh, at the beginning there was no WTO. It became the WTO during the course of the negotiations. It started off as a very very different economy to the type of economy it is now. It was a strict communist. Government, a centrally planned economy, which of course has changed over the course of the years, particularly over the 15 years that they've been negotiating. So I think that has been one of the reasons why the negotiation has taken so long. The sustained economic development has been the key for the survival of China's communist government. This has been obvious, especially since 1989, the、uh, students' democratic movement in China. And they have also learned from the experience of the former Soviet Union and Russia. They realized that to stay in power, you have to develop the economy, keep the economy going. Otherwise, you can easily lose the、uh, grassroots support. I think the negotiations have been difficult, essentially, for three reasons. One of those is that China, as always in all its negotiations, holds on for as long as possible to get the. 
best deal and very often the people with whom it's negotiating don't like that. Secondly, the World Trade Organization proposals have to be, in a sense, sold to most groups within China. And because there are some concerns about that, the longer they could take to do it, the more they disseminated information through the television and the newspapers. And then thirdly, it's political, really. Under the, the Bush administration in the early months, there were a whole number of difficulties in terms of the spy plane incident, in terms of the Olympic Games and all those kind of decisions. And once those were out of the way, then when we, we got through the middle of 2001, it became easier for the Chinese to join. But the difficulties are not just political, they're also economic. The negotiations have been so difficult because China is this unique country with the potential to be a huge economic power. I mean, people estimate that if China's growth differential with the United States continues for the next 15 or 20 years, then China will be the world's biggest economy, bigger than the United States, not per capita, but in total. So that with a country with that sort of potential, of course, every sector Every government has had an interest in making sure that the terms upon which China enters the WTO are the right terms for a country with that potential economic power. It's this huge potential that gives China its clout. And it could even have repercussions for the WTO itself. WTO, I think, has always said that it can't genuinely be called the World Trade Organization until it has China, which represents a fifth of the world's population, as one of its members. There are those, of course, who say that China joining the WTO is going to break the WTO because its disputes procedure just won't be able to cope with the number of disputes that will arise. There is no doubt that the WTO has got to accommodate this, and now they've got this enormous enormous great uh, mammoth of a country joining, which is covering everything from the highly developed to the highly underdeveloped, and the WTO has got to cope with that. But the changes within the WTO are dwarfed by the changes that will have to be made by China. The specific nature of these changes will differ from sector to sector, and our survey can only include a few. We'll start with farming, since China still has a very large agricultural sector. One of the areas I focused on was uh, agriculture. It was a difficult area in the China WTO negotiation. Reforms in agriculture in China was most impressive in the early 80s. And since then, as many people pointed out, it has been taken over by reforms in other sectors of economy, like uh, industry and, uh, and, and trade. The whole structure of agriculture will have to change because the government now is too man manipulative from the various levels of government. This will have to be changed and uh, leave the decision to be made by people who are directly involved in the everyday running of the agriculture, leave them to the farmers. Jude Howell lectures at the Institute of Development Studies at the University of Sussex. She's made a special study of China's reforms in the rural sector. I think for those um, agricultural products that are likely to have to compete in the international economy, China is going to face a lot of challenges. Already China faces great constraints upon agricultural production and will find competition in the international economy intense. But we also have to remember that China has a large local market, so we have to look carefully at how 
the WTO is also going to rebound upon those farmers who are not engaged directly in export, but who may be facing cheaper imports from abroad for certain products. China also has a distinct urban population, and traditionally this was focused on manufacturing. China's giant state-run industries will also be affected. Yes, there are going to be winners and losers as China enters the WTO and in the period after accession. Most obvious losers in the urban areas are going to be some of the state-run enterprises in China. Of course, those that are already doing pretty well are going to face increased competition and may survive and do very well. But the majority of state-run enterprises have been、uh, meeting difficulties, and in the 1990s have already been retrenching workers on quite a massive scale. And this will particularly hit. Workers from age forty and over, there are going to be quite significant generational differences and also gender differences. Problems for women workers who have enjoyed a secure income over a number of years and are thrust out into the marketplace to look for new employment. Rising unemployment brings huge challenges for social security provision. Well, for laid-off workers, the government had a scheme of a three-year period of providing them with some benefits, which were a reduced amount of payment, monthly payment.、Uh, in some instances, unfortunately, workers did not actually receive these benefits, particularly where enterprises had gone bankrupt and assets had been sold off. One of the biggest challenges, as well as, of course, in the old state enterprises, that they were units not only of production but also of reproduction, and by that I mean that they provided numerous welfare benefits、um, for their workers. So, for those workers who have been retrenched, they have also deep concerns about what are they going to do when they are sick. What are they going to do about their dependent relatives? And for retirees, also. Are their pensions secure? Are they guaranteed? From the Open University. For more information, go to www.open.ac.uk/use.